0: So tonight's talk is called Let's Talk About Sex. Um, my name is Holly Howe and I'm an art journalist um, and I write for a Complex and Londoner and State and loads of other people and I also lead art walks around London and give art talks. Um, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Holly HollyTorius if any of you are tweeting. Um, I'd like to remind everyone if you could put your phones on silent um, but do feel free um, to tweet um, or do other social media things during the talk, and the hashtag for tonight is L-T-A-S, uh, so let's talk about sex. So the title of tonight's talk came from an artwork by Alexandra Karkowitz, and um, so she's a London-based fine artist um, whose work focuses on the physical and psychological study of human nature. So her project Let's Talk About Sex, so you all have a little card of one of the, the first one from That's the series? The first one, yeah. um, so that received the Best Portrait Award and the Visitor's Choice Award at the National Open Art Competition. Um, and she was also selected as a finalist in the Pride Art Award. Um, so she has also done things like her work has been exhibited in the House of Parliament, um, where she was commissioned to create a piece for the Tomorrow's Child Show. Um, and her work, so you may have also seen her work, it was exhibited um, last autumn at the Contemporary Gallery in Mayfair. And um, so tonight we're also joined by Dr. Meg John Barker. Um, so they're a writer, therapist, and activist academic specializing in sex, gender, and relationships. So MJ is a senior lecturer at the Open University and a UKCP accredited psychotherapist. And MJ has published the anti-self-help relationship book called Rewriting the Rules in 2013. And recently published Queer, a Graphic History with illustrator Julia Scheele. Um, and then to my right is Justin Hancock, who's a sex and relationships educator. Um, so Justin's been delivering courses for practitioners as well as working with young people and adults in facilitated workshops for the past 15 years. Um, he also runs Bish UK. Dot com, which is a website described as a guide to sex, love, and you for everyone over 14. Um, and together, so Justin and MJ have worked on quite a few projects. Um, so they recently completed a book, uh, which we have here, um, which is called um, Enjoy Sex, How, When, and mm-hmm. If You Want To. Um, they also have a new zine called Understanding Ourselves Through Erotic Fantasy, Um, and they also produce a number of podcasts together. So the format for tonight's evening, so it's pretty informal. Um, We're gonna see a three-minute video um, about Alexandra's work. Um, Just to flag if anyone has epilepsy and there's a lot of flashing imagery, so you may need to step out for that part. Um, Then we're gonna have a chat, and Alexandra's (coughs) pictures are gonna appear on the TV behind us in a kind of slideshow formation. And then afterwards, we're going to open the floor to questions, Um, so you've plenty of time to start thinking about them now. Um, And yeah, we'll be around afterwards as well if anyone has any questions for us one on one. Um, So should we pop on the?
1: You all gonna hear it. So that's the three minutes uh, video that Holly just said, and. um, uh, it's a trailer promoting my audiovisual installation I'm working on at the moment where I'm basically recording my models who post for this project, photography project, Let's Talk About Sex. Um, so this is just a trailer of, of something I'm working on at the moment.
2: So I'm a teacher. I've always been a teacher. I
3: am myself, the male escort. I
2: am fifty-four. I am mother of two.
3: I am construction worker. I am transgender woman. Coming from a strict Muslim background.
4: I am still very young. I
3: am seventy-one. I am a student.
4: I am a
2: I am an uncircumcised, regular two times a day masturbator.
3: I did not have sex for thirty-two years until I met Anthony. And he was 30 and I was 75, and for some reason or other, he found me attractive. And I found that I enjoyed it as much as he did, and I wanted more and more, and now I like lots of it. When I was 17, nearly 18, I lost my virginity to a district nurse in the hospital in North quiet quite
5: by surprise. I've
4: been having sex since I was about 15, going on
5: 16. Basically, I'm an exhibitionist. I love being naked. I'm I'm naked here, making this recording, because I thought that would be appropriate. Why? I would have sex anywhere. I'd have sex in the middle of Chicago Square if I could, I didn't get arrested. I was physically
2: abused by trusting adults as a child, and sex is negative to me. Sex is beautiful and ugly at the same time. It's fun. That's the point of it. I always wasn't confident about myself. It was just a general lack of confidence completely. For years and years and years, I've absolutely hated my body. I was born a male with something
4: between my legs. What's between my legs doesn't define me. I happen to be sexually attracted to men. I'm actually bisexual something with girls as well. I do you want to masturbate, like, well, because I had to be here once
2: in the morning and yes.
3: once yes. at night, yes. like, oh, clockwork. And you expect or to be one of the most you things ever. Sex can be very playful and happy. Just something that might scare you. I you could say with a lot of those things how I live is so good. She was for meeting somebody.
5: had some drinks and had some sex. Mm-hmm. And being seventy-one and her being seventy-six, it wouldn't actually be to everyone's imagination that sex would be this good. Like I say, it's an enjoyable moments. So anyone that thinks the sex life ends at a certain age, they better come around with the camera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh yeah, you. <laughs>
6: yeah,
0: Okay, so that was pretty amazing and a really great introduction to your work. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us um, where you got the idea for the project.
1: Um, so, <coughs> this whole project is really evolving through, through the. Um, th- since I started working on it. So, I started working on the project uh, two and a half years ago. I came uh, up with, uh, with the idea uh, when I came across Alfred Kinsey's and his famous report on the sexual behavior uh, in humans. And I found this absolutely incredible two books that he published. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar, I'm just going to give very, very quick brief. Um, uh, he was a scientist in the States uh, who, uh, who did absolutely amazing research, uh, as I said on human sexual behavior, where he interviewed 5,000 men and then 5,000 women, uh, publishing a first book um, uh, on uh, well, sexual behavior and human male, uh, which was published in 1948 and then the same about females in uh, 56 uh, each book uh, each uh, book basically took about uh, five to seven years of interviewing about five thousand people each book uh, asking them all sorts of questions uh, about the, not only sex but fantasies, um, memories, uh, dreams, whatever it is that anything could be connected with sex, but also very deep questions about their backgrounds. And the conclusion of his research was that there are a few things that influence us sexually. It's a biology, so it's gender, age and um, sexual orientation, but then there are other factors that are social ones and these are really, really interesting, uh, which is basically who are your parents, what's their education, what is your education, who are your friends, um, were you brought up in the city or in the rural area, um, uh, religion, affection to religion and so on and so on and so on. And basically, his, his conclusion, and also further academics that were uh, investigating the whole sexuality of humans, um, was that um, the social factors actually shape us a little bit more than our biology and who we really are. So, by sex, uh, he also means, uh, and all the scientists, including those two guys, uh, that they became my major uh, core of my artist statements, to be honest. Um, uh, is that uh, sex can mean a lot of different things for different people uh, and, um, uh, and everyone is just very different and different things influences and, uh, and what we do uh, it's, it's not only about the sex uh, that most of us think, just like you know uh, as they call penis in vagina it can be everything from fantasies to masturbations or even having sex with animals which uh, was published in this book as well uh, so all sorts of stuff, and I found it very, very, very interesting. It's some, somehow when we really think about this, it seems to be obvious, but I had no idea to which extent it actually in those other aspects than biology influences us. Uh, so I came up with the idea to do this, uh, this kind of art experiment, art uh, psychological experiment, where I created a brief um, based on this academic research and I invited strangers, so people I've never met before in my life, to come to the photo session um, after reading the brief. And the brief, uh, in the brief I gave them the, the, the kind of summary of the research and then I asked them to come to the session and create in their head a character they would like to portray in front of my lens. Um, and uh, there were like, a few pages of questions to kind of support The imagination, to have very, very clear vision of who they want to be at the session. And because we didn't know each other, it left this kind of open door to to really playing around because nobody's going to judge them of whatever they're going to show or tell me uh, because we don't know each other. Uh, And the whole idea was to kind of capture not really who they are, but to capture their subconscious, because whatever role they chose, it's kind of a reflection of their subconscious. doesn't mean that they are those people, but they decided to choose this particular role. Uh, And in the brief, I I gave the example, let's say, uh, I I was saying, let's imagine you're a woman who is 50 years old, Uh, you're a very uh, conservative Catholic, you lost virginity with your husband you're married, you have two kids you're not really sexually active Like sex was never really that amazing if you're going to come to the session uh, and be yourself uh, show me emotions about the sex uh, you're going to be shy right? you're going to probably turn around hide, um, having chin low whatever it is but if the same person will come and say you know what, I actually want to be at this shoot a uh, 20 years old bisexual uh, person who is like super open sexually had already plenty of partners uh, the same person will just come in, stand in front of my lens and be like that and it doesn't mean that this person would like to be this character but for some reason decided that this is something that this person would like to be it can be fear it can be fantasy uh can be can be anything so this was my 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 first the first project this was the idea But what happened was, uh, which led to completely new dimension of the project was that those people who were coming to my sessions, uh, they actually started telling me their stories, which I was completely not prepared for because I didn't know that they will open themselves so much. So we started the journey kind of, they were telling me who they really are and then they were telling me what role they want to play. And very often it was some sort of variation of themselves. Sometimes they were playing themselves, sometimes it was something completely opposite. But we always, through discussion, realized why they decided to be this person. So I started be, like, behaving a little bit like a psychologist, which was a little bit crazy, because I'm not. <laughs> uh, but it, I think it was just very uh, intuitive, I suppose. Um, so after the first pro- the, um, edition of the project, where I photographed 100 people, Uh, And uh, they were between 18 and 80 years old, uh, from very different backgrounds and races. Uh, My head was kind of blowing up because, um, as I said, I didn't expect to hear those stories and I've never heard that many stories about sex, never from my friends, from family, I don't know, from anybody. Uh, And I thought it's just so interesting, I'm going to do another uh, project and the second edition. So I opened the call for the second edition uh, and for each of them I got a few hundreds of submissions of people who wanted to be photographed, so I I couldn't even believe that so many people have this need of expressing themselves in this way. Um, And then uh, my friends started approaching me, so in the second edition there are not only strangers, there are actually some of my friends. And now I'm working on the third edition and so far I've been photographing only my friends. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's a very interesting journey. Uh, so, um, so yeah, that's more or less the starting point about the mm. photography project, yes. And then
0: so MJ and Justin, what from a more kind of academic background, what are your thoughts on this sort of role play mm. and fetishizing? Is this very common among people?
4: Well, um, I find this a fascinating project because it really links in with the work I've done around erotic fantasies. So I think you mentioned that we've just got this scene out about erotic fantasies, like a little booklet that you can download from our website, which is megjohnandjustin.com. Um, and that's, for me, like the, the fruition of kind of a longer project because I've been exploring kind of where our erotic fantasies are kind of rooted, where they come from. And there's a couple of great books by this uh, Jack Marin who wrote this book called The Erotic Mind back in I think, the 80s or 90s um, and then Brett Carr wrote a more um, UK based book called Sex and the Psyche um, and they both kind of have a lot of people's erotic fantasies in them and they really trace them back to like our quite early experiences and that's not to say that there's anything wrong with the fantasies they're actually in a way what they're arguing is they're a way that we've survived the difficult stuff that happens to us particularly shameful stuff Um, that happens to us we often kind of use erotic fantasies to like eroticize the very things that we found difficult in our lives and both those books trace quite a few people's erotic fantasies back to like moments where they were maybe bullied or felt powerless Um, and so I'm really interested in in your study because I think what it does is it lets people bring out what we might call like disowned sides of themselves so in those moments when we're younger we really learn like What's the acceptable side of ourselves that our family says is okay, or the people at school say is okay, or the wider culture? And we learn to kind of press down the sides that we're taught are kind of not okay. And I think that you know, what for a lot of the people you've photographed, you've kind of let them liberate some of those erotic fantasy sides of themselves, which they've kind of relegated to that that world of erotic fantasies, mm. um, and now they can kind of bring them to the floor. And that's certainly what I found with that journey through erotic fantasies that I was doing and kind of exploring it both academically and personally is like actually in those fantasies you often you know put your disowned selves, you know, so like you're saying if you're quite a shy person you might put the much more powerful person in those fantasies or if you're a very nice person you might put the nasty or the naughty <laughs> person in those fantasies. Um, and so by tuning into our fantasies I think we can get back in touch with some of those sides of ourselves and psychotherapeutically they'd say that's a pretty valuable thing to do so that's kind of my take on what you were kind of stumbling <laughs> across and, and I get how it's so fascinating to people so I just got photographed by you last week oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I'm really going to be part of number
5: three but you know it's, it's just going to be very weird for me if I'm sitting here <laughs> but it's
0: a really good picture. you can get photographed
5: too going to be really weird for you <laughs> but
0: yeah I
4: just think it's a great project for like helping people those kind of sides of themselves that they might have just relegated to erotic fantasy so if you're interested in that like I say the zine helps you think and it's not just fantasies in our heads like some people it's more real about our fantasies Mm. through the porn that we watch or the erotica that we read you know so it's it's not just like about fantasy in the head but it's about how we put those sides of ourselves in the fantasy realm
5: and also you were saying about how um like our fantasies and our, our desires about particular aspects of ourselves are kind of pressed down but also just mm-hmm. generally desires are kind of pressed down like you were saying Alexandra that um, that uh, so much of our sexuality is really about the social and also, also the psychological yet so much of uh, sex advice sex and relationships education sex therapy is all about the biological it's all about making the nuts and bolts work and all about the ins mm-hmm. and outs as it were and that is such a tiny uh, amount of sex and one of the things that is really not really talked about enough is what we desire and uh, what it is that we're made fantasize about and our interaction with um, Roscoe, as you're saying, and there's almost kind of like another moral panic around this. There's like a, a sense that thinking about our desires and thinking about what we may fantasize about is uh, really quite a dangerous thing and if we think about some of the narratives that I talked about at the moment around porn and particularly porn and young people now, mm-hmm. dangerous and addictive it is and stuff where there is absolutely no evidence for that whatsoever um, that it's kind of this kind of it's a very scary thing that we're not really allowed to talk about yet it's such a valuable thing and such a huge part of our lives that we're all kind of trying to disown mm-hmm. um, generally.
0: So I wanted to ask you about the selection of people that you had because so you said most of the people for the first two series were strangers. But how did you go about selecting them? Because looking through the images, it seems like you have a really, really wide range mm-hmm. of people.
1: Well, as, as I said, I, I did some some like um, um, like online castings, uh, and I got quite a lot of uh, as I said like hundreds of submissions. So that was already quite easy to select different people through that. Um uh, but also I was kind of I started a little bit stalking people as well kind of everywhere. Uh if I find someone interesting at the party or on the tube or in the museum or pretty much everywhere, I, I have no shame of coming and asking them if they would like to pose for me. And of course, you know, if I'm like in the busy place I cannot really explain the whole project. I'm just gonna give my card saying something, <laughs> but just get in touch if you're interested. And some people do. Um so uh, um so because of that i i I think I managed to get i was trying for to really get as much priority as possible because i think obviously oh and in the second edition i, I forgot to say the youngest person was eleven years old so so in the, in total two over two hundred people that I already photographed, so basically their age is eleven to eighty, and of course, you know a girl who is eleven she's going to have very different thoughts about the subject than eighty years old men um and um and for the girl who is 11 years old, sex means something completely different than it means to us, which is very, very interesting. Um, so, um, so, yeah, just as I said, um, through different channels, I was trying to really cover all sorts of different people, age, race-wise, background, just to get this variety and the sense of how different we are. And
0: you were saying that as you were photographing people, so I imagine when you started, you kind of had set times of, you know, come from 1 till one thirty but then people start telling their stories. And I imagine it must have taken a little bit longer than maybe you originally planned.
1: Uh, Well, interestingly enough, it starts getting faster and faster. (laughs) Uh, It takes me really not much time now to undress people and to take information (laughs) from them. Um, But uh, I think when I started, I was giving about one and a half hour per person. Um, and I found out that I'm talking to people much longer than I'm photographing them because once I understand what they want to say um, what they want to express kind of my job in this situation is just to capture what they, what they want to say uh, so the shoots are actually not that long sometimes they just take a few minutes uh, sometimes somebody needs a little bit longer time to kind of get used to the camera uh, so maybe half an hour but really it's longer than that uh, so actually conversation takes longer than than photographs itself themselves.
0: And do people bring a lot of props? Because there seemed to be a difference, like some of the um, photos were just very simple and then others seemed more uh,
1: so complex. Everybody is encouraged to bring something if they want, because all the props always help me to understand more better what they want to say. Uh, and they also can obviously can get creative because when they start picking up things, they, they obviously think through what they want to sh- say. Uh, so some, sometimes people come about with, like, with two suitcases, you know, with, like, full table of stuff, <laughs> and we might end up not using not even one thing, but I, I, I understand what they want to say through all that stuff. Uh, so when props are very crucia- crucial to underline really what they want to say, we are using them. Uh, but in most cases we actually don't, because the most important is about to get the sense of feeling, of emotions they, they are trying to portray. So if you look at the photo, you know, I don't know, of this girl for example, we ob- obviously have no idea what is her story. Uh, but you get the sense of, of the emotion they're trying to say, what is behind it. That was my goal. My goal wasn't to uh, reveal their stories, it was just to show photographs. But because I heard all those crazy stories, then I thought I just can't keep it to myself. That's why I started recording people. Uh, obviously, like later on, I was re-inviting uh, my models to the studio, the ones that I already know. They give the full permission to be recorded. They came and they said, yeah, I'm happy to say my story once again to the microphone. Uh, yeah, but that's the new, new work I'm doing at the moment.
0: And just thinking about the props, what are your thoughts on kind of, because we were talking earlier about play, um, and the importance of play. Um. And again,
4: I think the props take us into this different realm of sex. So, like Justin was saying, sex has got so narrowed down to just thinking about, you know, particularly kind of penis and vagina penetration and orgasm, but generally speaking, forms of penetration orgasm may be like, okay. I mean, like, I analysed these um, sex manuals for a project that I was doing. And I looked at like sixty-two of the most popular ones and you just get the same message over and over again that that, you know the only way of varying sex at all from that same script is vary the positions. And like there are sex advisors who literally say the one thing is just finishing a different position to which you started and that will keep you being able to have sex with the same person for the rest of your life. Like you know, it's so out of touch with what is actually, and it's so limiting, this idea of sex, so I think what the props do is, again, it encourages people to go into more of this realm of fantasy and roles and play, and it starts to expand out our erotic imagination, like, we start to think what is sex? Well, you know, it can be it can be these looks, you know, these really amazing looks that these people are giving to the camera, it's sexy, right? You know, it can be the you know, the, the guy that's tied up and it can be the person who's you know kind of whatever other kind of props that we've that we're seeing you know um uh, the person who's got this whole kind of thing all over them right that, you know, yeah good or whatever. <laughs> um so yeah again just really expanding out and that as a sex therapist that's what i find is some of the most helpful advice i would give to clients mm. is like expand out your notion of what counts as sex stop worrying so much about how much you're having it and whether it's normal and start to just tune in (coughs) what do you actually really enjoy
5: and doing that i mean one of the things i noticed um was that there are lots of different descriptions of different kinds of sex different kinds of sexual activities that people enjoyed Uh, solo sex outdoor sex Mm. uh, but also diversity of ages of people you know like the, the the person at the end who was saying that they're in their 70s and they're having really good sex and it kind of subverts the idea about who is sexual as well as uh, what is sex but also we had like we heard a lot of people who enjoy sex but we also heard from people who really didn't enjoy Mm -hmm. sex and whom sex is a really difficult thing so and that's the the kind of thing that um, you know we've kind of shifted I think from there's a danger that we've shifted from being a very sex negative culture to being a very sex positive culture and in a way they're both quite damaging I think uh, so I guess we're kind of we're like sex critical right?
6: <laughs> yeah. so that's what our
5: book's about, that's why our book's called Enjoy Sex, How, When and If You Want to we, th- we hope it's a sex advice guide that will help be helpful for people even if they're asexual yeah. so.
4: because sex negative was kind of saying you shouldn't have sex or you should be really worried about the sex you're having but sex positive can be like you must have great sex and you must have it like you know, every day or three times a week or something. Yes. Yeah. You know, again, any any idea of like what's normal sex or proper sex is bad for somebody. But yeah. it's not everyone, is just going kind to of fit That's what we were talking about on our podcast today, wasn't it? That's
0: right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you were saying at the end that then you started recording people and people were telling you the stories. So how did that aspect come about? Because obviously, to begin with, it was just about photography.
1: Yes. Um. Uh, surprisingly, then again, I, again I, ha- I I didn't expect when I was emailing my models, kind of asking if they would be up for it. I was again overwhelmed with the response that they were up for it. Uh, Funny enough, some of them just said, "I'm oh, in the front of the com- uh, microphone." The first thing they said was their name and surname. So oh, like, <laughs> God, why would you say that? Because uh, I'm really trying to keep this whole thing uh, relatively anonymous. I don't <laughs> want to be credited somewhere. But but I'm I'm just absolutely so surprised. Uh, but what was interesting uh, when they came back to the studio uh, is that they told me again even more than before. So uh, it's like a non-ending story. Uh, it's, it's just absolutely fascinating. And I have to say I build up quite a few relationships with my models uh, and they're always happy to come back whenever I need them uh, and like, I always have some ideas what we can do, what we, we can do next. Uh, or is it new project? Or or the videos I'm doing um, for this audiovisual installation? So I'm recording them, but I'm also start I started doing videos to that. Um, so each interview will have its separated video. Uh, so like when I'm when I'm just calling them like oh would you be up for doing video? Yeah sure no problem. So they just go for it completely. Um, so um, yeah it's it's just it's just so interesting. I want to publish a book one day with those stories because they're really really interesting. Because they are very different. They, like every story, is just so different. There's almost nothing in common in them. Uh, and um, uh, even if there were, again, those two hundred people that I photographed, uh, you know, some stories might be a bit similar. But I always, in the end of the day, they're very unique. They're really different. It's just unbelievable how different we are. There's, yeah. There is just, it's just endless. This project could go forever. When I die, somebody else should do it <laughs> because. It's, Yeah, it's just very interesting, I have to say. I'm a little bit addicted to this right now. (laughs) Right, but it's
4: like getting at this idea, again, that everyone's got a unique sexuality. Again, we get this really one-size-fits-all model in sex advice, that assumption that, you know... You know, pretty much anyone with a male body will work in exactly the same way and pretty much anyone with a female body will work in the same way and it's assumed there's only male and female bodies in their sex advice and what you're finding is like, and what Kinsey found really is like, no, everyone's got a completely unique template So the messages we're giving people about sex are so damaging Mm -hmm. that you must all try and fit here when actually where everyone
5: is is all over, all over the spectrum. And that those things can change over a lifetime, but also over a decade or over a year or over a month or over a week or even over the course of a day. That Mm. how we feel about our our sexuality and what it is we're attracted to and our desires and how we feel about our body and how our body functions (laughs) for us in particular ways. Um, what it is, what kinds of touch we may or may not enjoy, is constantly changing. And like by embracing that change, it's possible to uh, to tune into what it is that you in, enjoy too. So it's um, it's that idea of sex being uh, uh, the social aspect of sex, which is always left out, and the psychological and the bi and the biological all working together in a very unique way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, this this is something uh, that was in your book it, exactly what you said. But this was this example of. Uh, when you have one partner and you you have sex with this one partner it's like every time you have sex with somebody different yeah uh, and i really like this example because it just shows you cannot just be repetitive about behavior because somebody liked something for a year or once doesn't yeah. mean that that's going to be like you know the key to the success every single time and yeah i think i i think it was really powerful actually it made me think a lot right yeah, it's like the idea you can't step
4: in the same river twice. Yeah, know. exactly, it's the exactly. Same for our sexualities.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's there's just so much pressure, as you said, on uh, how we should look as well, because it's a lot of about the body image as mm-hmm. well, which I'm very interested in. So it's it's all sorts of stuff, and uh, going from mental one, how we should behave, to the physical one. Right. Uh, and uh, recently, I w- I've been told one part of the people I photographed that her thought of having sex is just to always look pretty. So even if she she can't just go into the moment, because she just mm. thinks how she's gonna look like, and it just makes me so sad. So many
4: people that's the case for, and then yeah. and yet what you're you know what this really shows is like you're watching these images right, over, and they're just beautiful, mm. <laughs> like because they are in this really sexy space or this really emotional space, and you're looking at them, and everyone is just. Gorgeous and they're so diverse, and yet you know, people have got that sense all the time that their body's not good enough, and when they are having sex, they're just thinking about how they look and just the exterior.
5: I guess that's one of the things about we can often feel bad about our bodies, but we can often feel better about our bodies when we are. Uh, in our body, when we are embodied. And I guess yeah. it's easier to be embodied when you're asked to play a character, I suppose, isn't it? Or to play like a, a different version of yourself, because yeah. often we can be so self critical of ourselves. But if you're asked to present yourself as a different self, you might be less critical about that person's body, I guess.
4: It is interesting. Like, from my experience, even just looking in the camera of the pictures of me, it's like I got a bit of an insight into what other people might have had, which is you're, you are looking at this persona. And it's kind of your body, but it kind of isn't at the same time. And it's actually quite, yeah, it is a really helpful and fascinating <laughs> experience. <laughs> Could
0: it's, you share what it was like taking part in a shoot?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was really interesting. I was, I was interested how little you did and said. It's like you create, you just create this really wide open space, and that that works. You know, people put themselves in that space, or at least that was that was for me. And then, yeah, I mean. It just felt kind of normal, I guess, because I'd seen all of your. Mm. Works. Did you
0: go into the shoot with an idea in mind, or yeah, did it kind well, because of form I was as anyway?
4: All this work about the different sides of myself that come out in fantasy, I had a pretty good sense of who I wanted to bring. Um, but yeah, it was remarkably easy to to do that actually. <laughs> Even you know, when you think in front of a camera, you're just going to feel really sort of shy and insecure. But it was okay. And then yeah, to be able to see them, you know, on the back of the camera, kind of to to go through some of the shots and just be like, wow, is that me? Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, hot.
0: Yeah, but And I uh, wanted to ask you about, um, so one of the stories that I think there was an extract in the video that we saw at the start, but about how um, things have changed for the people who took part. In the project, so I was thinking about the woman with the gloves. Your favorite story? I love this <laughs> story. I think it's great. And I was just wondering if you could share it with everyone because I think it's a really interesting story of the yeah. sort of benefits of taking part of the project.
1: Yeah. Oh, she's just so cool. Um, yeah. There is this woman who is saying that she's uh, 54 and she's a mother of two, um, and uh, she is. Um, uh, and she also said that all her life she absolutely hated her body. Uh, and it, it's just quite epic how she hated herself. She was just like in the, in school, during sport classes, she was just going to another room to even change t-shirt. And her kids never saw her swimming, they never saw her in bikini. So that's how, how self-conscious she was all, all her entire life. Uh, and the kids now are in late twenties, and she decided that she's not gonna care anymore. <laughs> so she came to this, to, the, to this shoot, and she said, uh, she didn't tell this to anyone, Uh, but she came and again I've never met her before so she came to the studio and I asked her so you know what would you like to portray da 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 and she said well I I want to be a dominatrix and she kind of you know brought up all sorts of stuff and I'm like okay cool are are you into that stuff she's like well I would like to be but kind of my sex life is sort of boring and uh, she said that Basically, you know, the, the, they had the, she's married and they had those kids for ages and it's kind of, you know, like she's 54, there's something really exciting going on anymore. Uh, so we did this shoot and I think she just was absolutely incredible. She was so confident there that you'd never ever think that she hated her body all her entire life. Um, and then she was so happy about this shoot that she told her husband. Uh, she just couldn't keep it to herself. So she told the guy and he got so excited about this and he was so happy. And then they both came with their son to my exhibition. Uh, and the son uh, refused to look at the photograph of his mother. Uh, but the, the husband, it was just like this, this, I will never forget this look. I mean, it was just so, it was pure happiness. And uh, he was just like shaking my hand, saying, Thank you, thank you so much. Like, our sex is just so great right now. <laughs> because, because he saw her in a very different light after so many years. And uh, he's keeping her photograph in the computer in his work, uh, somewhere <laughs> yeah. hidden that nobody can see, but you know, he's like randomly checking it out before going back home, I don't know when actually, but <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it's kind of, it brought very different, and it's not, this was kind of the end of her journey, because obviously it took, it's not like she disappeared in the shoot and all life changed. She started working on it a while before, but for her, this was like the, the ending part, like mm-hmm. that's me. <laughs> I accepted myself. I don't care anymore. Uh, and uh, yeah, they absolutely love it. And it, she's even part now of my um, new series and new photographic photography work uh, about the human body and nudity as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she, she, it was just hilarious because the new project I photograph, I'm I'm photographing people at their homes, and I, I went all the way to their place, uh, and uh, and she was just you know ready to go <laughs> yeah. uh, all sorts of photographs all the all sorts of positions legs up head down you know everything and her daughter was <laughs> in the room pretending she's not there but then she wanted to leave mom i'm going downstairs and she knew what we were doing it's like hold on hold on just put the rope on <laughs> <was> like, okay <laughs> so yeah so that that was definitely kind of the turning point for her and like right now she she said she, oh, she was on the holidays you know in her bikini every single day. So, uh, yeah, that's one of the stories. <laughs>
0: and so the new series is called The Unique Fiction of the Anatomic Truth. Yes. Can you tell us
1: some more about um, what that involves? Well, it's, 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 a new, it's a new photographic project I started uh, this like just a couple of months ago. And the idea is, it's, it's still my interest in people because my entire work is about people. But I was kind of going through physical kind of human study to psychological one, which is Let's Talk About Sex Project. And now I'm kind of trying to combine a little bit both. Uh, and what I'm doing, I'm going, for, for now I've been shooting mainly women, but I, I started with men as well. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm going, as I mentioned, to people's places where they live. I'm seeing the space. I'm trying to match the space with their personality. And, uh, and I'm just taking photographs of nudity. But I'm trying to, I'm not photoshopping the body, I'm not trying to show like very flattering fake image, Uh, I'm I'm just trying to show reality, but at the same time, uh, the way I'm showing the photographs, um, uh, I'm trying to show them through different angles, so I'm kind of flipping them around, um, taking pictures from above, just changing perspective that sometimes is questioning like is this person flying or falling from the ceiling or mm-hmm. what is really going on so kind of to try to bring some dynamic but it's all shot in the in the environment where those people are living uh, so that's the new project I'm working on at the moment It's really good, I got a snake preview uh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you And I wanted
0: to ask you guys so it's now been six months since the book's been out um, and what's the response been to it? <laughs> <laughs>
5: Uh, we've got a, t- a loyal, very enthusiastic fan base, <laughs> right? Yeah, they're here. <laughs> I mean, the difficulty yeah. for us selling a book about sex, and it's a difficulty for me whenever I've been trying to promote any... Of, so, of uh, I've got my website, which is entirely around, about sex and relationships, uh, called Bitch. and the difficulty is that no-one's going to share that on Twitter. Yeah. I was going to share it on their Facebook because I don't know it's the UK. I don't know what <laughs> it is, but it's so uh, we get a sense that certainly people are buying it. Available now, Amazon.co.uk, and also via our website. It's seven ninety nine. Um, <laughs> you can flick through our one copy. That my warm copy I brought with me. She got a so Yeah, but, but yeah, I think people, people are us. a
4: bit like you know. I think it's good that we have Kindles and stuff so people can read it. Because even when I was like reading it on the train on the way to talk about it, I was a bit like oh okay mm. that's maybe why people are a little bit like, <laughs> reserved about
0: saying hey that's a great book or and do you think whatever. it's harder so i think there's perhaps an appetite when you're a teenager that you're like mm. oh i haven't done it yet and i need to mm. find out how to do it so i don't screw it up yeah but do you think there's perhaps more of a problem that as we get older that people are like well i know what i'm doing like you know i've had sex now, it's now and I know. to
4: say that you're struggling because the mm. stats are that, like, um, about 50% of people say on the Natsal survey say that they um, have got one or
5: more sexual problems or difficulties. And the, ten, the same study says that 10% of people are distressed with their sex lives.
4: Yeah, so I think it's really common to be struggling, and certainly what the stuff we were talking about earlier about thinking like, are you having it enough, is it good enough, you know, is it proper you know, what about those finances you have that you feel like you have to keep to yourself you know, like, I, I think most people have some insecurities about sex Um, But yeah, I feel like it's hard to get through that to to say to adults through the kind of idea that you should be pretending like it's all great, you know.
5: I mean, I think one of the problems that that we call out constantly and we think is a problem is that um, many of the reasons why people struggle with their sex lives is because they've had really crap sex and relationships education and really crap sex advice. So a lot of the stuff that we're doing is literally, okay... This is what you've probably learned about sex and relationships. This is why it's all wrong. And this is why you need to learn yeah. this new, different approach.
4: It's like you were here, like, before you learned anything, And then everything you learned took you down to here. And, like, we're trying to undo all that damage and bring you back to here. Yeah. And then maybe you can start to go, you know, to, to, to having this amazing sex life. But it's like just bringing back anyone back to neutral is a ma- major job for sex educators sex therapists and sex advisors I would
5: say probably doesn't help that we slag off other sex writers as well and stuff and
4: well uh, some, uh, some people are into our stuff who are also sex Yeah, writers.
5: <laughs>
6: yeah
0: <laughs> and what would your advice be for people so if they had a fantasy so thinking of mm. um, your woman with the gloves yeah. But that if you have this fantasy and you're like, I don't really know how to approach it with my partner,
6: mm. well, what the is, is the
5: best way of doing that? I guess the thing is, is that it's okay just to have a fantasy and not to act on it. And it's okay for that to be in your own private world. And it's actually, it's okay to fantasize. A lot of people are given, we're given so many negative messages about uh, fantasies, as I was saying, as I was saying before, that a lot of people kind of really yeah. just struggle with the idea of it and want to push them away. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: Um, it's not real sex or proper sex, yeah. so yeah, allowing yourself to really tune into the fantasy and enjoy it, and it doesn't necessarily mean because you have a fantasy that you won't even want to act it out. But if you do, again, you know, it's it's totally fine. And I think that sharing fantasies in relationships, if you do want to be sexual in that relationship, is just a brilliant thing to do mm. if you if you come you know, sort of, I mean, sometimes doing it over messenger or something like that can feel a bit safer for people, mm-hmm. but it really kind of be a very exciting thing to bring to your sex
5: life. And, we, fantasies. and we've got another product that can help people with that the uh, Make Your Own Sex Manual zine that helps couples to communicate about what it is that they may or may not be into, as well as what they may fantasize about.
4: Yeah, there's a bunch of great tools for like starting to have like conversation if you haven't had it before.
5: It's the difficulty there is when the, the, with the couple you were describing earlier and then with, uh, uh, and then it turned out that they were both into kink is that you can get into a little bit of a Mexican standoff in a long term relationship where you think you know what your partner wants and you, your partner yeah. thinks that they know what you want and because you're not really talking about it yeah. and you're you staying in this kind of narrow zone of all the things that we know turn each other on and the acceptable things and so some, sometimes the ability to step out of that with a new character or a new persona can really um, introduce uh, some real excitement. That's so. right,
4: that study found that people knew, about, in long term relationships people knew like 60% of what their partner was into and only 20% of what they what their turn offs were like that's how much people in long term relationships know about each other's sexual desires so we've got some like catching
5: up to do and the difficulty there in long term relationships of course is is that there's a lot at stake Yeah. Yeah. so imagine going home you know after work one day and saying to your partner toes out I'm really into kink Uh, and they'd be like what or, <laughs> or the other way around so um, you know there is a lot at stake and so understandably uh, and often one person has more skin in the game than the other person because there's inevitably power dynamics going on in relationships that we need to pay attention to so the thing is, is the other advice I guess that we give about this is that this stuff is not easy mm-hmm. like this is really really difficult work and a lot of this is like relearning some of the stuff that we've learned over a lifetime which can be very difficult to do so the first thing to do is to be really gentle with yourself and not to force yourself into doing things that you're not really feeling comfortable doing and to try to treat yourself super consensually and to do that with anyone you may be having sex with too or may want to have sex with too because um, it can be really difficult stuff mm-hmm. but so start small I guess yeah so on that note I'd like
0: <laughs> to open the floor yeah, to questions so does anyone
3: have any Yeah, go for it. I've been trying I've been thinking about before you know I could say something about the spiritual side of sexuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That I don't think uh, I didn't feel it has been addressed, addressed mm-hmm. the spiritual side. It's like something that you know like we can't really see where it comes from but we have it in us, you know. Yeah. Um Sorry, for my name. No,
4: that's no? great. It's a great question. Yeah. I think that, you know, it, comes, it can come from that, what we're talking about, expanding out what we mean by sex and expanding out our understanding of the erotic actually leads a lot of people to the spiritual dimension of life um, once, they, once they start thinking small about just sex as this particular act that they ought to do and start, like, really tuning into it. So something we talk a lot about is the idea of being present and you know like that's a really helpful thing that people can do um, sexually which comes from kind of Buddhist philosophy and mindfulness um, and actually you can use sex as a really
3: good way of practicing that I'm not sure if I really mean that I and, mean, yeah like my my uh, perversions in sex in sexuality for instance Yes. Yeah. supposedly where do they come from you know your what your my um, desires my perversions where do they come from
4: perversions
3: whatever you know, <laughs>
4: I'm not going to use that word. What, 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 yeah. yeah, sorry. Yeah. So you're asking where do our sexual desires
3: come from? Yeah, because I think I feel myself that they yeah. come from somewhere else, you know? Mm-hmm. I didn't choose to, yeah. and I can try to find these justifications for why do I feel like this or like that? And why do I not want to do this or mm-hmm. that? But, you know, I have a, an inner feeling that comes from somewhere, you know? Beyond. Yeah. Yes.
4: I mean my understanding uh, is, is like what Justin was saying is that idea of it being biopsychosocial, like we can't really figure out like where do our sexual desires come from because they're this really complex mix. Like it seems like some things might be there from the word go from when we're born, a lot of things are rooted in the kind of experience we have in life, a lot of things are shaped by the culture we're in, so different yeah. cultures will tend to have different kinks, often the things that are taboo in that culture will be more of a kink, you know, like British especially. It's a mix of all of that stuff, well, and they all feed back into as right? Well, yeah, and I and I think that um, for for a lot of people, once they start exploring that space, they can they can get to a more spiritual place with that. I would recommend Audrey Lord's writing about the erotic, where she's like, once you start thinking about the erotic way beyond just sex, we can start tuning into the erotic energy in all kinds of places. But I think we have to stop thinking in those negative ways about sex, that it's a perversion, and we should like explain away why somebody has it or fix them, and more thinking about expanding what we understand as
6: theorotic.
3: No, I, I sorry, I didn't yeah. mean, uh, I said in a negative perversion way. Yeah. it sounded negative, but it could be a, a, a positive thing. Sure. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Do we have another question? Yep.
3: It was interesting,
2: talking about the whole blaming sexual education for what we think about sex, but the whole point of sexual education originally was to teach people how to have babies. Mm. So, no, 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 that's the whole point. And so, and that was the practical thing. You can't teach people about fantasies because what are well, you going to tell kids at school? Oh, maybe you like kink, or maybe you like, you know, fisting. It's like you, can't, you can't go towards all the fantasies that adults will really build over the decades. Mm. So, so where do you start teaching about sex? And how do you
5: do that? Well I mean, um, I don't think kids in school are being taught about how to get somebody pregnant and also I don't think they're being taught about fisting, I think they're being taught how not to get somebody pregnant or not to get pregnant and they're taught that sex is very dangerous and they probably shouldn't do it for the most part. Um, But MJ and I have actually worked on a curriculum for teachers um, uh, called do SREforschools.com, freely available if there are any teachers here, just go to the website and download all the resources. and it's a really inclusive, um, sex critical um, resource for teachers. Uh, it's like six hours worth of materials there, and it's all about what the kind of stuff that we talk about in a book. So, really, we think that sex and relationships education shouldn't be about uh, teaching people how to do particular practices. Just like in our book, we don't teach people about sexual positions and how you know the the perfect way to give a blowjob and. Uh, the best way to spank somebody and you know, that's we don't do that because we think that's crap. So what do, But how would we find
6: out?
4: So what we
5: do, I mean we can reckon, recommend other books that you do that, but don't. No, because MJ's and they are all terrible. You gotta find that stuff out for yourself. The thing is no nobody likes the same blowjob
4: job and no one likes the same spanking. Well that's the whole thing exactly. that is that every
0: everyone is different with a
4: different person. Exactly. And and different. You might like something with one person but not like it with another person. They might mean like different things to you. you know, yeah, yeah. Like, it also brings us to photography, is that when
5: we all start to become mm-hmm. so body conscious, yeah. so we start comparing ourselves to other people. Mm-hmm. So we, um, so with the sex education resources that uh, that uh, we uh, worked on, but also that I do at my website for young people, we we focus more on um, how we feel about ourselves, the expectations placed on us around gender and sexuality, um, being critical about. Uh, uh, different kinds of, well being critical about romantic love but exploring different kinds of relationships and what healthy relationship feels like, looking at consent and how consent feels rather than just being told what consent is uh, young people get to take part in, a, in a, an activity where they experience how, how consent feels and how to navigate consent and looking at safer sex but not just safer sex in terms of the biomedical don't get somebody pregnant, don't get a sexually transmitted infection but all of the potential risks with sex and how it can reduce those risks and taking the emphasis away from condoms, contraception, all that kind of stuff. So um, it is possible to do it. Mm-hmm. And young people are crying out for that kind of sex ed as well. But this
2: point, I mean, yeah, but then you can't go, because it, it becomes so varied, you know, like what do you like and how do you like it and whatever. So there's always, mm-hmm. you know, you can't just tell kids or yeah. whatever, this is the way to do it.
4: No, you're right. there to explore it themselves yeah. and, yeah. you know, it's sort of like how you approach sex, not what do you, we've got so hung up on what is sex. Yeah, you know, like it's, how just, it's just thinking
2: about how do you, you know, how do you reassess the whole point of sexual education, because people think, like, oh, we have to do it earlier, like or primary school and, you know, like, Does it really matter because by the time
4: they don't even think about it anyway? Oh, it does matter because I think you do need to start teaching consent really early um, because we're teaching kids, you know, from a very early age that they have to do non-consensual things you know, we're, we're kind of creating a situation where by the time we get yeah, to adolescence, lessons, they're really used to treating themselves non-consensually and being treated non-consensually by other people. So I think it'd be really good if we could start to teach consent from a young age, how kids should treat each other yeah. and expect to be treated. Because it's, you know, that we, t- we teach kids quite early on they should pretend to be enthusiastic about the things they're not enthusiastic yeah. about. And that sets up a really damaging situation later when they come to have sex, you know?
5: Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a question for Alexandra, so looking at this slideshow of your images I've noticed that they represent a wide spectrum from very neutral, uh, the neutral kind of uh, representation, self-representation to the very overtly sexual ones. Mm -hmm. How did you feel that say uh, representation of sex in the media like porn was represented and captured in your subjects taking part in this project?
1: Uh, how, uh, just to, to make sure I understand the question how many more or less people would, would be showing kind of porn sexuality you mean? So no, the, something? It feels like
5: they're trying to channel what, they might, what I might describe as like a, a kind of a, a, a sexualized media style um, the portrayal of themselves you know consciously sexual within, in front of the lens how do you feel like the sort of sex in the media and things might have been then be channel through these people's time in front of the camera.
1: Um, well, I think I think if I understand the question right, I, I think we're all extremely influenced by all the stuff we are we are seeing, both on advertisement in films, in you know music videos everywhere. Uh, it's um, it's one type of body and it's one type of sexuality that is not really a sexuality. And I have to say I don't really see much of it here, to be honest, because. Uh, uh, as I, well, for example, as I said, I don't Photoshop bodies, so you won't see anybody here that looks like people that look on the ads because those people are they just don't exist. Um, and oh um, uh, God, I had another shot which just escaped my <laughs> my head. Um, I think people were very, quite real here. I don't think they were trying to replicate something like some ad or some movie star. I didn't have any, anyone who came like, oh, I want to look like Marilyn Monroe. I, don't, I know I'm not like that, but I would like, nobody came up with anything like that. Mm-hmm. I think it was, just, it was much, much deeper than that. Um, if anything, it would be, I just wanted to feel sexy or, or pretty, but I don't think, I don't remember if anyone really would think about this media image. That, that we we see everywhere. I think people are beyond that. Um.
3: Are you are you perhaps saying that if you were photographing a porn star, should like, look just like one of them? Should just like be her a normal self, right?
1: Uh, possibly. Well, it depends what she would like to show. I mean, you know, there are some people there who who are a little bit uh. vulgar, but it doesn't mean that they're like porn. If that makes sense. Uh, they are replicating porn. Well,
3: in, in the act of porn, they would be acting, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. But they're just revealing themselves.
1: Yeah, It's tr- in fact, actually, uh, now I, I have one story that came to my mind. One of the girls I photographed uh, once, she's a professional dominatrix, and uh, she wanted to, she came and she said, I actually want to be myself, because I don't even remember how it is, mm-hmm. because I'm always playing someone else and I don't even know who I am anymore. Mm-hmm. So she had to go through this process of kind of rediscovering herself. You would never, ever guess which picture sure. is that, that mm-hmm. she's the dominatrix yeah. there. Yeah.
5: And the effect of media on us is really complicated, but it doesn't make any representation we might make of ourselves in that kind of project any less real or any less authentic. Like, we have this complication, complicated kind of... Media, the way that media affects us is it's not kind of... Um, this image causes this effect. It's like it's we read into the images stuff that we um, or have already picked up for ourselves and how we feel about ourselves and our own values and other media that we may have seen. It's a very complex, content, uh, uh, continuous process. And I think that sounds like that was what was coming out in in um, when people were were modelling for you that um, that. Uh, the media or any media representations of sex are just one of the things that influence us, but there are tons of other things which have much greater influence on us than media.
1: Yeah. Well, I, thi- I think personally that um, media, especially advertisement, has just like the most energetic <laughs> uh, influence on us. Uh, it's just absolutely terrible because we all compare ourselves to something that is just simply not existing. Mm. And and I very often when people see my work, uh, when they were coming to the exhibition, it was it was just so weird to ki- not maybe weird that's the wrong word, but to see their reactions like oh my god we are so different, of course we are so different <laughs> why is it such a surprise mm-hmm. because we are not exposed to the body. Um, because you know you have to look certain way to expose yourself or to put you know uh, short skirt or whatever it is, and so you can't do it under certain age. My mother is still telling me, I like, oh you have to short uh, shorts. Like you're not teenager anymore. So how dare you? You know it's like I can wear whatever I want, however I feel. It doesn't matter. Um, if I don't look good, that's that's not my problem. I'm not looking at myself. So, um, but there was another thing. Um, uh, again, something escaped my head. That was about the uh, advertisement. Well, I forgot. I no,
0: Do we have another oh, question? Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, yes.
5: You, and then. I, um, I was wondering. I, I, I know better than to reduce sexuality to genitalia,
3: but it's very clear that you made a decision there to exclude genitalia from the pictures. Actually, all the lower body, uh, lower part of the body altogether. So I was wondering what was behind this
5: decision, if, if, if you're carrying that to your new um,
1: projects as well. Uh, well, the new project is it's kind of about the whole body, but this one was about... Um, this project is not about the body itself. The body kind of sneaked there and stayed there as a part of it. Um, uh, the, the, this project is about emotions, and emotions come from eyes, facial expression and then body posture. So anything that is below, that has no value in my message whatsoever. Because um, if you look at the genitals, they're not gonna tell you anything really apart from how they look like. Um, so so that was conscious decision to keep it that way, just to bring focus on that part, mainly on face. Uh, and then obviously body posture. So So the whole message is here. There's nothing below that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you can do your own project, <laughs> you including everything. Uh, no, I, I totally, well, I, I take on board that you disagree. Uh, in, in another thing is which is also important, it's also a visual thing, visual side of the project. So as you saw, uh, it's a collage. When I would put, so the, the piece itself is 180 times 120 centimeters, it's a big light box but each photograph is about four, less than 15 centimetres, it's a square, yeah, 15 times 15. If I would put the whole body, there's no way somebody would see the face. And for me, this was the most important part. So um, it's, it's also visual side, just to cut everything to the main message and to make clear that if somebody looks at the piece, they, they, they read what is there and they see it fully. Uh, if I would have separated images, uh, so show this work as a separated portrait, then maybe this would make sense. But in this way that I presented it, it just, it wouldn't look like it would be not readable at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, You had a question?
2: Yes, to you guys. Um, So you obviously mentioned, you know, that in the sexual fantasy, what is good and so on, there is the whole range. Um,
1: What about, you know, there's lots of sexual fantasies, though, that take you away from the partner that are really about Situations that have nothing to do with the um, person you're with, and they don't actually enrich the relationship nor get you any closer. But you
2: know, so h- how do you approach that with people? Like, you know, because one way you're saying yeah it's good mm. to be yourself, go with your fantasies, but they can take you more and more away and you become more and more extreme as you get older because obviously you, know, you need to keep the bus the mm. up. That's not. Or, you're yeah. trying to, try to analyse where do they come from? Actually, that's not me necessarily. They've been through all kinds of influences. I'm trying to go back to the person, the touch, but the basics, actually, which you
1: say, are not necessarily the full range
4: of what exists. Well, I suppose I challenged a little bit about that things get more extreme. The research doesn't suggest that people get more extreme in their fantasies or in their play. So you know, for some people that, that might be the case, but it's definitely not the general case that you know. Starting to allow yourself to fantasize means you're on like sort of a slippery slope where it's going to get more extreme. I um, think it's maybe about having time in relationships for solo, solo sex and together sex. You know, um, yeah, like if you're having sex with another person and you decide you're going to like fantasize about something completely different while you're there, then they're probably going to feel that you're not very present so maybe you want to make space for that that isn't when you're having sex with another person. But another really important piece is um, Moshe's research, so he found that people in general our sexuality tends to be around three different bits, so there's um, a bit that's about partner engagement, so about being really engaged with another person, there's a bit that's about trance that's kind of like going off onto quite high, kind of maybe on sensations, and there's a bit that's about role and really enjoying kind of power and fantasy and most of us have one of those that's more, our sexuality is more in that area than the others so somebody might be much more about trance or much more about partner engagement or much more about role and that's a really useful thing to, com- to communicate about in relationships. So, like, the example came from Barbara Corellis, who wrote the book Urban Tantra. And she said that with her partner, like, she was much more, one of them was much more about partner engagement, and one of them was much more about trance. It was really hard for them. Because when they're having sex, like, the partner engagement person is all like, stay with me. You know, I want to be looking at you. I want to see you when you're orgasming. I want to be, like, right there. And the person who's all about trance is like, I'm going off into some things. Wonderful. You know. And, like, that's there's no one's wrong in that scenario. You know, it's all about like having that conversation, like how the sex work for you, how does sex work for you, and for them it was like, okay, I'm gonna spin you off, you know, with sensation into that black hole, and then we're gonna cuddle when you come back, you know, to give me a bit of that partner engagement. So it's finding ways to navigate that, but, you know, I think what I would challenge is that idea that sort of it's, it's wrong to incorporate fantasy, or like takes
5: you away from your partner. It can be something that brings people closer to a partner. And actually, ironically, sometimes it might be better that it takes you away from a partner because that might help you to become closer to your partner. Like there's a lot of the uh, one of our favourite books on this is by Esther Perel called "Mating in Captivity," and it talks about the importance of having separateness and togetherness. And this was true also in the book that you did research into, "Enduring Love," uh, by. uh, Meg John and Professor Jackie Gallagher, right? Yes. And, um, and that talks about relation, like the key to, one of the keys to happiness in a long term relationship was um, thinking of a relationship as being a three legged stool, which is the most sturdy of all stools. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and that the third leg is vital for the other two legs. Yeah. So you've got like the partnership, the two legs, but you also need some thing. separateness. Yeah, because
4: the third leg it might take many different forms. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the separateness can bring people closer as well. But I think you know you've got to sort of feel it into it yourself. You know, if you are just using fantasies as a way of escaping from life, um, from other people, then maybe you want to look at that but I don't think fantasy per se is a bad thing at all. I think it can be a really enriching thing, especially if you're using them to tune into yourself more and learn about yourself and another
5: person. Which is not to say that people don't necessarily struggle with their fantasies. We've got (laughs) advice about dealing with that in our understanding ourselves. So erotic fantasies are even available now. Um, (laughs) But sometimes uh, fantasies may be troubling, but the way to deal with them isn't to shut them down because they never go away. In fact, there's... um, Brett Carr and Jack mm-hmm. Marin suggested actually those fantasies may get bigger and more troubling the less you lean into them so the therapeutic approach there would be mm-hmm. to kind of explore um, the edges around what 's going on very gently to see you know what it is that 's troubling around it and and to kind of accept it in the first instance that it is a fantasy that you have, and then then the fantasy may become smaller and other uh, more valuable or more less troubling fantasies may mm. come to you along the way
0: Okay, we probably have time for about one or two more questions yeah, before we wrap question. up I'm interested mm-hmm.
2: to know from, uh, from both of you about censorship because we all talk about trying to be open about it but uh, I mean obviously
4: for you like for uh,
1: photography
4: yeah. but as well for the thing, how do you deal with censorship?
1: Well, I'm, this is actually, that's, thank you for bringing it, that's what I wanted to say, uh, actually that was the spot that escaped my head, it's another thing that we we don't know how we look like, is because we cannot see other people's bodies, uh, unless we kind of are in some, I don't know, we, we go to bed with them or something um at least because of censorship I have like we are both artists, Nicolas uh, artist as well. And we both are on the same page. Like we have to censor our work everywhere. Uh, which you refuse to do. But I, I I've done it on Instagram and I put eight photographs fully censored and I was kicked out of Instagram uh, for those photographs, you know. And it's I mean it's these are portraits of people, you know, it's like really, it's not porn by no means. And the funniest part I was kicked out from Instagram My after eight post, which is a picture of a guy, but he's like a bigger size guy, also, you know, with, with huge watermark, everything. And I was kicked off by posting a person who is like XXL size body, and I was kicked out of Facebook mm. for that. So, uh, not Facebook, from Instagram. With Facebook, the same thing I... Uh, uh, I posted the um, like, uh, those, those photographs but like really flashing, kind of like it was in the end of the, of the film, like a ge- as a gif, so you couldn't even see anybody there because it was just so fast. And I published it on my fan page on Facebook and quite a lot of people shared it. And then so many people, including my sister, who is like, in early 20s, uh, they told me that their uh, po- profiles were banned by Facebook and they had to uh, delete the inappropriate content and of course, they had to be reported by somebody. Uh, and that's what really, really makes me very sad is the fact that my sister, who at the time was 20, was reported by one of her friends who is in their 20s thinking that this is inappropriate content because it contains nudity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by nudity, again, we are mainly talking about female nipples. So I can go forever with this one. Uh, um, the, other, the other thing I can mention as well when I won when I the award for National Open Art Competition I sent press release to lots of arts journalists uh, and uh, obviously most of the time I was completely ignored but I, was, uh, I got an email from a guy from BBC who said that he absolutely loves the project it's just amazing he cannot publish it uh, because uh, it contains nudity and you know it's like oh, you know the same BBC you open the main page and you see the dead kid in Syria and that's fine you cannot see the human body, like what is wrong with people? Like, yes, it's w- dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 exactly, like, exactly. It's like, why, what's going on? Why are we are going into this direction? It was so much better 40 years ago than it is now. In, in, in 70s or even in 80s when you had, uh, you know, there were posters of art schools with naked uh, women, you know, uh, as an as a, as a advertisement. And it was fine. Now imagine having on the post of the school a naked body. Like, 40 years ago it was just be better than it is right now. Um, yeah, that's,
2: the, that's, the, that's what happened after feminism. That Sorry? That mm. Basically uh, uh, women could you could have all these portraits naked women everywhere and then feminists around and say, you can't do that because it's men looking at naked women and then now women want to show off their bodies or whatever and then you can't because... It's been destroyed by other people protecting that's you know nudity mm-hmm. from the male viewpoint. Yeah. But no, it's not that's I don't I don't
1: yeah. so that, that was the case. That's it, <laughs> that's yeah. I mean it is it, the
2: only reason why we're much less open minded now is because we want to protect so now you can't you can't show naked children on, on well, Facebook because, because people are obsessed with children's you know, uh, pedophilia yeah,
4: whatever.
2: Yeah, and this is exactly what happened.
1: You, know, you, 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 you can't deny it, this well. is exactly what happened. I can deny it. I know your foot was taken down because of male immunity, but in general if you go on Facebook or Instagram you can put up male nipples, you can't put up female nipples.
2: Yeah, but you could that in the seventies before Instagram because. But when oh, Instagram
1: didn't exist, you could do it. You know, there's, there's oh, that makes no sense whatsoever. But yeah. I don't think
2: she had a problem with the male nipple on the BBC. Um. I
1: well, think so. I think this is something we can carry on probably <laughs> no, after no, this talk so. because uh, no, this is very <laughs> like I, I I know what you where you're coming from, and I think there is a lot to be said to it, and it's your your thinking is not coming from nowhere definitely. Yeah. But I don't think so that that's the case. Uh, I think it comes a lot from the morality that is uh, actually really comes from states because all those companies are American companies and they're very conservative there about the human body and it has nothing to do with feminism uh, because it contains about other things as, as children as well. Uh, you know, I'm not saying
2: it's feminism now, I'm saying it's a, it's a result of what we've been trying to do for the, for the last 30 years.
4: But that completely contradicts the American experience, which is like the overriding cultural experience, where that comes from a puritanical standpoint, and where you know the naked female form would never have been used for an art school in the 70s, either. And that's what a lot of the nude artwork from women in the 70s and 80s in America is specifically in response to that. So it's not, that's just not even the history of the feminist movement there. And you can't say that America isn't the dominant cultural paradigm now, and that it isn't like a particular hegemonic structure that's being imposed on artists worldwide. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can take that out.
1: Also
2: considering that um, so Instagram and Facebook, they often outsource a lot of their um, uh, work to the Far East. So when a person clicks report on Instagram, it will go to other parts of the world which have very different cultural
4: norms to our world as well. Mm. That's not quite how it works. There's actually a really, really good documentary of Facebook censorship in, uh, in India and it shows
2: what Facebook say is acceptable and isn't mm-hmm. oh. and they make these people
4: sit and see really really extreme images as well and say this isn't acceptable, this so is what is coming from Facebook and, and Instagram corporate and the HQ. Mm-hmm. and these people obviously get super burnt out so they sit for eight hours a day and just cycle through images, mm-hmm. mainly data pics. Yeah. Uh,
2: and
0: also uh, something <laughs> isn't reported anyway, yeah. there's also computer algorithms to identify yeah this, so a lot of the time, because at one point I was like, oh, people are reporting my pictures and I don't think they were, I think it was just an algorithm. Okay.
4: Yeah, I, th- I think that gets referred to a person quite often mm. and then that gets done. Well, I think okay, you have the
0: last <laughs> question, so... <laughs> just in reference to what he was saying though, about feminism as being an older person properly in this room to a
4: lot of other people, is so I remember very clearly especially in the 70s, where there were programmes like Bouquet of Barbed Wire that was considered like really racy and all of this and I remember watching all these very
0: sexy programmes Mm. <laughs> mm. It, there was lots of full nudity of women and women being fucked this way and that way and we never saw a single male bum let alone mm. yeah. mm. and that, that's where that whole interpretation of feminism has been twisted where it's like well hang on a minute it's not that we don't want to see other women it's like well hang on a minute why are we only seeing women and, why can we, and very explicitly but we don't even get to see a male bum
2: yeah, even in Bums. games films, the only Game time Bums. you see a penis yeah. is when I mean, yeah. diseased or disgusting. You see, like, but. you know, women's bodies and they're always sexy and men's bodies are And they're always, always yeah. Okay. And they're getting, yeah. Oh, American gods. No, it's not. It's one of my memories. Okay, is it a birding
0: question or?
1: No, no, I was going to
2: ask if you've got any pictures of your new collection or where can we see them?
1: Uh, the, those you photographs. you
0: know the new project. Oh
1: yeah, yeah, it's on my website. So when you, when you have this card, uh, in, there's my um, uh, website. Uh, well, yeah, uh, If you know how this project. Uh, and the, my, the new project is there as well. Yeah. So on that, perfectly
0: rounded up note. Thank you very much. Um, so I'd like to thank Alexandra, Justin, so and MJ for. So I'd like to particularly thank the House of St Barnabas for hosting us this evening um, which is a great organisation if you don't know enough about what they do um, but I highly recommend you look at their website and check out their membership programme because it's a really interesting structure in supporting homeless charities. So yes, so thank you very much for having us and we'll be hanging around.